Morning. Good morning. Good morning. Wow, that was good. Thanks, Tim. You know, make a guy feel welcome. Good morning. Uh, my name's Matt. I'm one of the pastors here. Um, I, Tom has the week off, and that's a good thing. Um, oh, I'm really excited this morning. Uh, and before I, I, I get too excited and forget, um, there is not Children's Church today. It's the last Sunday of the month. We worship together as family on, on the last Sunday of every month. But we did provide, there's um, like coloring sheets and outline stuff and crowns over there. So if you need that, Roy can pass it out to you. So if you just want to stick up your hand if you need one of those, or if you're just an adult who wants one and you realize that I'm teaching, and Matt Benson, I'm not counting you. Um, and, 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 and if you just want to check out, that's cool. I, I understand. But uh, just so you know that. Also, hey, um, just if I can't go that long as potluck Sunday, I can already start smelling the smells. It's kind of weird because you're really hungry for food. You shouldn't be at an hour, you know, that's not quite right when you walk into church on potluck Sunday. But uh, also during potluck Sunday today, uh, we have a group of students who we're going to Costa Rica with right when they get out of school. We're going with YWAM. We're going to be doing some mission work down there. Um, we're doing a fundraiser at the potluck today, and basically what we're doing is we're selling them to you to do chores around your house. So we're calling it a slave auction. I don't know if that's appropriate or wrong or anything, but that's just what we were calling So you can buy these fine young children to come and do stuff at your house that, well, you just don't really want to do. Um, it, college students, it's great. Like Some of you college guys, you need to call your friends, get all the money together you can get because rent's cut, like your rent is, is, is like almost up, you know, like your lease, and you're probably going to be moving out. That means you have to clean the place before you leave it. Okay? So be thinking about that. Um, and just so you know, if you're like, man, I don't have any money with this, we'll, we're taking it over the next couple weeks. So that'll be going on during the potluck um, as, as well. So uh, heads up on that. We are in the last part of our series on Speak Life, and, and I'm honored and blessed that I get to preach this one. Uh, I was really excited when it happened, I'm not going to lie, Tom. I was, I was really pulling for that one, but he was very gracious and is going to let me teach this one. And, and the last part of the series of Speak Life is Speak the Gospel. Speak the Gospel. It, it's, it, well, t- today, all we're doing I mean, literally, all we are doing is we are taking the gospel and we're just going to break this sucker down and we're going to explain it in ways so that you as a people of God can go forth into your community and speak it. I'm so excited. I don't know if you can tell. Like, I'm like about ready. You know, like you get that excitement cry, you know? Not like the anger cry before you get in a fight, but like the excitement cry. Like you're just pumped about it. I'm, I'm that excited about teaching this because... Let's just be honest. If we don't get this, nothing else matters. If we don't get the gospel as the body of Christ, it doesn't matter. We're wasting our time. If this is a social club where we come together to hang out and feel good and and, and sing, I mean, this thing is weird. Let's just agree, church is different. We just sang before noon songs where we were clapping and raising our hands and we had words projected on a screen. It's different. Okay, there's a reason we do this and it's because of the gospel. There's a reason we live as a people and it's because of the gospel. I'm hoping you're getting it that it's really important that we understand the gospel. You may be going, Matt, I've been doing this for a while. I'm, I'm pretty aware of the gospel. Good. 
Good. Let's hear it again and again and again because there's probably more people walking around city market right now than there are sitting in church. We need to hear it again and again and again. Now, the interesting thing on this um, for, for our church body is I find it interesting. In church settings, we tend to live on this strange swinging pendulum of, uh, of how we do things. Sometimes it works itself out in areas of license and legalism. It's like sometimes we're like, we don't do anything. Sometimes we're like, we do everything. And we swing back and forth, and we don't really ever hit that middle ground. And we really strive for that. In the area of gospel, we swing on this pendulum of deed, working out the gospel in action, and actually proclaiming it with our mouths. It's a pendulum that we swing back and forth on. And being honest, as I, as I examined our church body, talked to people in our church, and, and just examined things, and just looked into it and prayed about it, I feel that our church body is really high up on the area of deed. You guys are really good at living the gospel for the most part. How do I know that? I've been the one receiving the benevolence checks coming in for the Bradshaws. If you were here when we helped out Marlene, you guys stepped forward and provided for her. When the house fire happened and we needed to get the people who survived it things that they lost, you gave it. We say, hey, we're taking kids to Costa Rica. We've had people give. We've had people do the things. You guys are really good at doing. And I commend you for that. That's a beautiful thing. I mean, there's always areas of improvement for sure. And, and, and I know this is a general statement. Some of us are in different areas. But generally speaking for our church, I feel that that's where we are as I talk to Tom about this. But here's the problem with that, as if there is a problem with that. It's not a, it, it, but it is. It's incomplete. You see, there must be at some point a proclamation of the word of God. There must be a proclamation that comes from our mouth of the gospel truth of Jesus Christ. I think we struggle there. And some of that is your fault and some of that's my fault. We, we breed a mentality of, you know, you bring them to church and I'll share the gospel. True, you're going to get that every Sunday here. But guess what? It's not off of you just because I'm going to do it or Tom's going to do it. You need to preach the gospel. And this is something that isn't very popular right now necessarily. Um, you know, I, I'm all for working it out in deeds, but it's also in words. I'm all for it. It's not super popular right now. And, and it just burdens me because I can't reach them. Do you understand me? I have my sphere of influence. I have the people that God has given me to shepherd over. And right, right now, that's you. And Tom, that's you. You are my sphere. I am to proclaim the gospel word to you so that what? Not, no, no, no. Not so it stays here, but so that it goes out and goes out in power. Listen, preaching is important. 
It's very important. And we won't take the time, but I could go through the whole entire Bible and tell you how important speaking the gospel word is. Speaking is how it came into being. God spoke and it happened. Okay. Some of you are looking at me like you don't believe me at all. That's okay. I'm going to prove you wrong. That's what, no, I'm just going to show you the correct way. <laughs> John chapter 14 is where we're going to start off. We're going to end up in 1 Corinthians chapter 15. That's where we're going to be spending most of our time, but I'm going to start off in John chapter 14. You don't think it's important to speak this? Well, let's, let's break this down real quick, and then we'll dive into our main scripture for the day. I'm just going to read straight through this. John 14, verse 8 through 12. There should be Bibles underneath your chairs around you if you don't have one. If you don't have one at all, you can take that with you. If you just keep losing your Bible because you just do that, don't take it. Um, go buy a new one. Um, but also the words will be up here on the screen. John chapter 14, verse 8. I'm going to read all the way through this, and we'll break it down. Philip said to him, Lord, show us the Father, and it is enough for us. Catch that. Jesus said to him, Have I been with you so long, and you still do not know me, Philip? Whoever has seen me has seen the Father. How can you say, show us the Father? Do you not believe that I am the Father, and the Father is in me? The words that I say to you, I do not speak on my own authority, but the Father who dwells in me does his works. Believe me that I am in the Father, and the Father is in me. Or else believe on account of the works themselves. Verse 12. Truly, truly, I say to you, whoever believes in me will also do the works that I do, and greater works than these will he do, because I am going to the Father. Okay. That's, that's Jesus' Jedi mind speak, right? You know, he's like, I'm in the Father, Father's in me, and you're just like, what? I mean, if you're anything like me, I have to take this down. And break it down chunk by chunk so I understand it. And I know there's a lot of people in here who are much smarter than me, but we'll just pretend that you're not. <laughs> Philip wants proof. He says, show me the Father. Show me a miracle. Show, I, want, I want God incarnate, which is kind of comical because he's standing right in front of him. He says, show me. And right here in verse 10, what does Jesus say? What, what does he get? Does he get a flashy miracle? Does he get something overly intense? He gets, Jesus says, the words I say. The words I say. Why is that important? Because through the words of Jesus, who's speaking? The Father. Who's speaking? The Father speaking. And then, and that's, that's in verse 11. And then, and then it goes, through his speaking, the Father is also doing what? The, fa- the Father is working. The works that are being done are coming from the words that are coming from his mouth. It's an interesting thing. God today is at work through the proclamation of his gospel. It's one of the ways that he's at work. It's actually, I, I, would, I would say the number one way that he is at work is through the proclamation of his gospel word. <clears throat> the works of Jesus aren't just meant for Jesus either, are they? They're meant for every Christian. Verse 12. What does it say? Truly, truly, I say to you, whoever believes in me will also do the works that I do. Well, John earlier, right in here, in in, in chapter 5, 
tells us what these works are. So let's go to it. John chapter 5. Verse 20. 20 through 24. Here we go. For the Father loves the Son and shows him all that he himself is doing. And greater works than these will be shown him, so that you may marvel. For as the Father raises the dead and gives them life, so also the Son gives life to whom he will. The Father judges no one, but has given all judgment to the Son, that all may honor the Son just as they honor the Father. Whoever does not honor the Son does not honor the Father who sent him. Catch this, verse 24 is really, really important for this. Truly, truly, I say to you, whoever hears my words and believes him who sent me has eternal life. He does not come into judgment, but he passes from death to life. What is the works that Jesus is doing? What are the greater works? It is people passing from death into life. Speaking the gospel word People hearing the Holy Spirit falling on them, them becoming regenerated, which means um, a new heart, a new nature coming about within them, and they grow to love Jesus because of the proclamation of his story. That is the greater works. Now understand, it's not limited to that. I'm all for signs and wonders. I preached a sermon on it. It's cool stuff. It shows his mighty, it shows his power. If you remember, and, and, and I know that's a stretch for some of us, but if you remember back to that sermon, I said, what, what are signs and wonders? They're proof that the gospel message is going forth. They don't come before. The gospel message goes forth, and then signs and wonders follow. The greater works that are given to you are to help people move from death to life. Please be excited about that. Please care about that. Please let that keep you awake at night. There's a lot at stake. This isn't a game. This is really important. So, This begs the question, how do we do it? How? How do we proclaim the gospel? Uh, There's a great church up in Washington, D.C., and I think this is a great practice, but before you can become a member in the church, you have to be able to give the gospel message, the whole story, in about 60 seconds. I think it's great. How do we do that? Well, what does that even look like? Well, there's people out there much, much smarter than me. One of the, in, in this case, I'm going to use a guy named D.A. Carson. He's one of the foremost theologians out there right now who is just incredibly smart. And he helped me realize this a while ago, and I'd like to share it with you, is, this, is that if you do not understand the whole storyline of the gospel, the death, burial, and resurrection really doesn't make a whole lot of sense. Or doesn't seem that important. So the storyline matters. Well, let me explain it to you like this. Okay, I, a couple years ago, well, it was actually several years ago, um, I, I, I had a niece that was born. And, uh, and, and, and she came home from the hospital. So if I came in here, I said, my niece was born and she came home from the hospital. You'd go, great, that's good. 
Some of you who have kids be like, man, that was a great day. Or some of you who have, like me, or who's getting ready to have a child would be like, that's a very scary day. Um, I, I don't know. But, but if, if I just told you that, you would go, oh, that's, that's good. But what if I told you that my niece, when she was born, spent the first week and a half in ICU and wasn't breathing on her own? But when she came home, she was breathing on her own. And she was out of ICU, and, and, and she was going to be okay. The story changes, doesn't it? That's what I mean by you have to know the storyline. It changes everything. So, D.A. Carson put it this way. I'm just going to read it. I'm not a big fan of just reading quotes right out, but he's just so stinking smart. It's just really good. So, I'm just going to read it instead of trying to put it in my own words. I'm just going to read what he said. Okay? This is the gospel in the storyline of Scripture. Thus, the gospel is Intricately tied to the Bible storyline. Indeed, it is incomprehensible with, uh, without understanding the storyline. He's saying the Bible doesn't make sense. The, the gospel of Jesus doesn't make sense if you don't know this storyline. God is the sovereign, transcendent, and personal God who has made the universe, including us, his image bearers, Genesis 1. That's what that was. He's made us because he's sovereign and he's good. Out of love, an overflow of love is what he did. He created. Our misery lies in our rebellion, our alienation from God, which despite his forbearance attracts his implacable wrath. I had to look that word up, be honest. I didn't know what that meant. Um, it means merciless wrath. It said that we, this is the fall, this is Adam and Eve, when they chose to sin, when they chose rebellion against God, that he had wrath on that. That's what he's saying here. But God, precisely because love is the very essence of his character, takes the initiative. Isn't that beautiful? Think about that for a second. God takes the initiative. Did you you know that the church of Jesus never really asked for Jesus? They were sick and didn't even know they needed a cure. He took the initiative. That's love. And prepared for the coming of his own son by raising up a people who by covenantal stipulations, temple worship, systems of sacrifice and priesthood, by kings and prophets are taught something of what God is planning and what he expects. He's talking about Israel here. That God raised up a nation that would start pointing us towards Jesus. Did you know that the Old Testament, that everything in it points to Jesus? mentor of mine said, Matt, if you can't preach Jesus in every single Old Testament verse, you shouldn't touch it. He's in there. In the fullness of time, his son comes and takes on human nature. What's his name? You can say it. Jesus. You can say it louder than that. It's okay. It's a good name to say. There's the rest of the quote, but I'm going to explain that differently. And in case you're wondering, if you want the rest of that, I post my notes on Facebook every Monday, so they'll be there if you want the rest of the storyline that he gives. But we have to stop there. We have to say, okay, so we have this Jesus now walking. You know the storyline. You know that there was good creation. You know that there was a fall. You know that God was really upset about that, and he actually calls it wrath. You know that he raised up a people and started pointing everybody to the coming of Jesus and setting that in place, and then he is born, and he lives. 
And this leads us to our main verse for the day. And yes, that was my introduction. Um, no, it's more like halfway or something. 1 Corinthians 15. This verse will be very familiar to some of you. First Corinthians chapter 15, verses 1 through 9 is where we're going to be. I'm going I'm to read it straight through, and then we'll break it down real quick. Here we go. Actually, I need a drink before I do this. Verse 1. Now I would remind you, brothers, of the gospel I preached to you which you received and which you stand, and by which you are being saved, if you hold fast to the word I preached to you, unless you believed in vain. Verse 3. For I delivered to you as of first importance what I also received, that Christ died for our sins in accordance with the Scriptures. Verse 4. That he was buried and that he was raised on the third day in accordance with Scriptures, and that he appeared to Cephas, then to the twelve. Then he appeared to more than 500 brothers at one time, most of whom are still alive, Though some have fallen asleep. Then he appeared to James, then to all the apostles. Last of all, as to one untimely born, he, he appeared also to me. For I am the least of the apostles, unworthy to be called an apostle, because I persecuted the church of God. We'll stop there. You want a scripture that tells you the gospel? You just got it. I mean, my middle school boys last week um, write it on their hand and walk around with it all day. Josh, did it come off? Okay, good. I try to use like Sharpies, things that don't come off for a long time. Um, Sorry, parents. What does this mean? Well, let's break it down verse by verse, okay? Verse one. Now I would remind you, brothers, the gospel I preach to you. See, there it is, preaching. It happens. It's a good thing. Which you received and which you stand. In which you received and which you stand. You need to understand that the gospel is what gives us any authority. Me standing here right now, proclaiming to you, this has nothing to do with me. Has nothing to do with my authority. Has nothing to do with my opinion. The gospel is in which I'm standing right now proclaiming this to you. You receive confidence in proclaiming the gospel because not of your own righteousness, but because of his, which he has imparted to you, which he has given to you. You can stand in confidence with that because, listen, I'm not dumb. I understand that this is scary to go to somebody, and and I'm not just talking about random people off the road, and if you're called to that, by all means, go do that. I'm not that guy, but... Sharing the gospel is hard. But you have to understand that, that the reason is, one of the reasons it's so good is because it's really not dependent on you if they get it or not. That's not your job to worry about that. Listen, if, if it was dependent on you and I to convince people of this, this room would be empty. The story ends with Jesus riding a white horse out of the sky. That's odd. Okay? It's not super easy to be like, yeah, that's what I believe. Nailed it right on the head. Yep. 
out of the sky. And there's angels and stuff, and people come back to life, and there's an ark in there somewhere. I mean, let's, let's just be honest. That's a hard thing to sell. I think it also points to the fact that our faith is very real. It is in which you stand, verse 2. And by which you are being saved. We'll just stop there, break that down. By which you're being saved. The gospel is what saves. The gospel message. Did you know that this isn't like saved once, done? If you look it up and you break it down, it's plural. Yes, you are saved at a point of, I believe in God, I confess, but it, it, it's not done. It's not over. I mean, look, how, I, I'm fearful for some of you that you may be sitting in here thinking that you basically have escaped the wrath of hell because at one point you said, yeah, I believe that, and you're done. That is not the gospel. The gospel teaches a regenerated heart. The gospel teaches a heart that is continuously being renewed and worked over and humbled. You are continuously being saved. Yes, saved once and for all. I I totally believe that. Hear me on that. I want to make sure we get that right. I don't believe you can lose your salvation. Not at all. If it's real. You are continuously being saved. If you hold fast to the word I preach to you. This. Are you holding fast to it? Does it, does it excite you? Do you have to force yourself? And listen, I get it. At times you have to be like, I'm just going to hunker down and read this thing even though I don't feel like it. But there needs to be times in your life where you're like, I really want to read my Bible. That's an okay thing. And it actually really bugs me that that's become an uncool thing or like a cliche thing to say. This is the very word of God which is being preached to you. Take it seriously. Verse 3. For I delivered of you of first importance what I also received, that Christ died for our sins. You need to understand that he died for your sins. There are sects of different religions that do not believe that Jesus died. That he was a good prophet of somehow and he was taken up off the cross before he died. That is not true. Jesus died. He had to. He had to. Literally, the weight of eternity was on him there. Because as the Bible teaches, the blood of goats and bulls was not enough. There needed to be atonement. There needed to be something put in place for our sins. There is no work. There is no deed. There is nothing too good that your brain can even begin to comprehend and which can save you. The only thing that can do that is the death of Jesus. 
first importance is what he says, that Christ died. Should make it heavy. Should make it very real. I'll be honest with y'all. I'm Facebook friends with most of you who have Facebook accounts. And uh, sometimes I'm, I'm, you know, we, we screw up and we do stupid things. But sometimes I'm just like, I want our people, please, God, let them take this more seriously. Because I meet somebody very different every week on Sunday morning than what I see right now on my computer screen. Yeah, I stalk you. (laughs) I call it being a good shepherd. Don't worry about it. He died. It's really important. And as you notice as we go through this, it says, according to Scripture, it's saying, like, look, go back to the Old Testament. There's something pointing to this. I told you this was going to happen. Exactly the way I said it was. Verse 4a, I'm breaking four into two, two parts. That he was buried. Stop there. That's A. You don't bury people who aren't dead. He was dead. You need to understand that. I know I'm hitting that kind of hard, but I want it to settle in. God was laid in a cold tomb, and get this, because nobody could foresee what was coming, what was going to happen next. As we keep reading in 4b, that he was raised on the third day in accordance with scriptures, that he came to life. This is greatly important as well. Many people believe that he never came back to life. But listen, he is not who he said he is if he is still in that tomb. He is a liar, not worthy of worship, if he did not raise from the dead. I was reading a Newsweek article last year, and there was a bishop, and this is weird me telling a bishop that he's wrong, but but, um, the reporter asked him, what if we found Jesus' bones today? What if we we could prove that he is still there in the tomb? He said, no, 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 because he's resurrected in my heart. He is wrong. If he did not come back to life in bodily form and walk out of that tomb, he is not God, and he is not worth your worship. But the good news is, is that he did. And in that process, conquering sin, Satan, and death. It's important. How many of us, and this is a fear of mine, because I do this, talk about Jesus as if he's still dead? How many of us think of him? I mean, we're drawn to the cross naturally, right? It is the crown jewel of our faith. It's very important. Trust me, I'm teaching Good Friday, and it's my favorite sermon of the year to give. Big fan of the cross. Love substitutionary atonement, all about that. But... Sometimes we can just get so focused on, oh, he died for my sins. He just died. He died. And, and, and we forget the joyous part 
the, 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 the overflow, the light, the goodness that, like, listen, he didn't just stay dead, that he came back to life. Because you need to be worshiping God, not only as he was on the cross, but as he is now. And forever will be. Understand, he will never look like that day on the cross ever again. He will not do it again. When we see him again, it will be him in glory and power and honor, okay? You need to know that he is alive and well and moving and doing work and sending his missionaries and redeeming his people. He's not dead. He is alive. And next Sunday, we celebrate that. And you best be getting people in here to hear that story. It's what we're dependent on. Verses six through nine. I can break it down pretty simply. Well, actually, I guess it's five through nine is this, <laughs> he understood it was going to be hard for some of us to believe. He knew that. So he showed up. Some of my favorite stories in the Bible are him showing himself off to people. I mean, this is the kind of God you worship. Did you know this? Um, he shows up and cooks breakfast for his boys. That's the God you worship. He shows up and he's just sitting there and they're rowing in like, is that Jesus? And he's like, yeah, making breakfast. Want some? Tell me you do not have a very personal God. He shows up to the guys on the road to Aramaeus, right? And they're walking and, and, and they, they don't know. They're bummed. The Messiah is gone. And he, and he looks at him and says, don't you know your Bible? Don't you know that all this had to happen? And then, like, one of my favorite stories, because you can tell that he really likes to mess with people, because, like, they get it all of a sudden, and they're like, oh, Jesus, and he's gone. Not in, like, the negative way, not Lord's in vain, but, like, literally, oh, Jesus, he's standing right there, and then he disappears. <laughs> That's really what happened. It's in your Bible. Shows himself off to more than 500 people. And, and get this, and, and in this letter right here, right, to 1 Corinthians, it says, who some are still alive. You can go ask them. Not today, okay, obviously. They're, they're dead, I can promise you that. This wasn't written last week. He wanted to give eyewitness account, but you know what? The bottom line is we're still dependent on the Holy Spirit to get it. Because at his ascension, right, because then what happens next is he ascends into heaven to take his rightful place on the throne at the right hand of God. And, and, and at that moment... It says some disbelieved. Listen, if Jesus is floating into heaven and you still disbelieve, I don't know what's going to help you. It's tough. Okay. I'm going to give you a summary and then one more verse. I'm going to give you, and, and feel free to tweak this. It's going to be on my notes, but I sat down and I said, Matt, Put the whole gospel story in one paragraph. Put it in one paragraph for the people. Put it out there so, so that you guys can take it and you can learn it and you can be the people that can proclaim it. 
Here's what I came up with. Jesus was God and is God from the beginning. He came born of a virgin, lived a sinless life, was killed on the cross for claiming to be God. Understand, they killed him not because he was some good guy. You don't get killed for that. You get killed for claiming to be God. Was killed on the cross for claiming to be God. Was laid to rest in a grave and on the third day rose, conquering sin, Satan, and death. After appearing to hundreds of people, he ascended into heaven to take his rightful place at the right hand of God, the Father, where he is currently reigning. He will one day return to defeat Satan once and for all as he promised in the beginning of the Bible. And all who believe in him will get to spend eternity with him and that eternity starts right now. That is the message in which you, the church of Jesus Christ, is armed with. And it can change the world, and it has. But he's not done. You know how we know that? Because I don't hear any trumpets blowing right now. That means there's still work to be done. Let me close with the scripture, then we'll be done. Romans 10. I would encourage you to camp out here sometime and read this and spend some serious time here. Romans 10, I'm going to be reading verses 9 through 17. Ten nine through 17, here we go. Because if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For with the heart one believes and is justified, what that means is made right. And with the mouth one confesses and is saved. There is a public level of this. For the scripture says, everyone who believes in him will not be put to shame, for there is no distinction between Jew and Greek. That means there is no such thing as racism in the body of Christ. That means there is no distinction. Some of you are goofy looking. Some of you may think I'm goofy looking. We're still the body of Christ. Let's go to verse 12. For there is no distinction between Jew and Greek, for the same Lord is Lord of all, bestowing the riches on all who call on him. For everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. That's what's at stake right now, today. That's what's at stake. That, that, that's what some of us think is a game, that that's what you're playing with. In a sense, that's the ball that you've been given. And the question is, are you doing anything with it? Let's keep reading. How then will they call on him whom they have not believed? And how, and how are they to believe in him who they have never heard? And how are they to hear without someone preaching? And how are they to preach unless they are sent? As it is written, how beautiful are the feet of those who preach the good news. It's just not me. That's you. I'm included, yes, but that's also you. Verse 16. But they have not obeyed the gospel, for Isaiah says, Lord, who has believed what has been heard from us? Verse 17. 
one of the most important verses in the Bible. So faith comes from hearing and hearing through the word of Christ. Church, speak the gospel word of Christ because it is your job and we are not doing it sufficiently. I don't mean to come down on you, but I just know it's not true. Every conversation you have, I I encourage you to seek it out to be gospel-drenched. Be the creepy guy, maybe. I don't know. Church, you've heard the gospel. It's your responsibility. Amen.